0: What's going on, everybody? Hope you are having a wonderful week so far. Uh, before we get started, let's uh, give us a little subscribe. You know you want to. Um, podcast time. Fossil Archive slash RMK, um, aka r- lovely guy called Roberto. Um, I came across his music um, on Needed Pains, but I, I'm pretty sure I knew his his Fossil Archive project. Before that, but he released an album on Needed Pains and it was just on another level. Um, I'm going to butcher the name, but it's called Tunguston, um, and that came out in 2021. Um, and it's just an amazing album, um, sonically, just ridiculously good. Um, and yeah, I bumped into him at ADE uh, in October um and he asked to come on the podcast and i wanted to get him on his music's great he also has another project called RMK which is a little bit more faster um tempo techno um very good again had a lot of support from nastia plays alongside nastia on regular occasions um Yeah, he's a lovely guy, really nice guy. So this is a really good introduction to him as an artist. If you haven't heard, and if you have heard of his music, then it's a great insight of some more about him. So without further ado, Fossil Archive, a.k.a. RMK. What's cooking, man? How are you? Good, good. Good to see you again. Yeah, you too, mate. Last time I saw you was in Amsterdam, right?
1: Yeah, it was a bit of a last minute sort of idea to go for me. Oh really? Um, yeah, I was playing over in Utrecht in September I think it was. Yeah. And I've got a friend who um used to promote parties in Bristol. Oh cool. Who's that? Uh his name's Rich King. He used to do a night called Mikasa Sukasa. Why do I know that name? yeah he's anyway they used to do parties over there uh, at the island mm-hmm. some other places yeah uh dare to swing yeah swingers club yeah yeah um anyway he moved over there a couple of years ago to amsterdam yeah. and um i went i saw him when i was gigging and he was like oh you should come over for ade mm. and i was like yeah i should do so um it was all a bit of a last minute thing but um Really glad I went, and it was yeah, nice it was to bump fun. into you as well.
0: Yeah, it was nice to. Why well, I, I didn't we, we met? We'd not met before, have we?
1: No, but I'm a big fan of the podcast and everything. So oh, thank you, man.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah. It means a lot. Nice pleasure. Yeah. Where are you in London?
1: So I live in a market town in Hertfordshire called Hitchin. Ah, oh, okay. Just outside, yeah.
0: One of my best mates lives in Hatfield.
1: Yeah, I've literally been there today. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Was Hitch Hitchin on the level of Hatfield? You can talk shit on Hatfield. It's absolutely fine. I do all uh,
1: the time. It's different. I mean, Hatfield is, I mean, I don't know Hatfield that much well, but it's more of a sort of post-war new town, I yeah. think. Yeah. Whereas Hitchin is more of a sort of, um, you know, uh, traditional cobble street yeah, yeah. square and Nicer. market town, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, um, man. Nice. It's a bit more oldie worldy. Mm,
0: that's awesome. I love it. Um,
1: Where I, are you? Are you in? Um, I'm
0: I'm in Somerset at the moment. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I flip between Somerset and you, and Somerset, and UK. Somerset is in the UK, obviously. Uh, Somerset and Detroit. So it's like chalk and mm. cheese, really. Um, yeah, they're pretty pretty polar opposite, though. Isn't
1: yeah. They? Have you been to Detroit? I've never been, but I would love to go i mean the whole sort of music history side of it i'm completely fascinated by so
0: well i think your whole sound is like a modern day detroit really i was just listening before obviously i i came across your music through needed pains sure um and obviously i'm good mates with alex and you've released a few records on were we on the same release as well at some point were we on like, one uh, of the I don't UPs? think so.
1: So my my first release with them was my album.
0: Oh, was that your first release?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't know that.
0: Um, I've known your stuff yeah. for, for way longer then.
1: You must, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I my Fossil Archive label has been going since 2015. Yeah. Um, and I was doing bits and pieces before that on other labels mm. as well. Yeah, um, I definitely know your stuff
0: way before then then. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I play some of your records. Uh, when did, when did, mo- is it motionless?
1: Yeah, that what? was um, this year, earlier this year. That was on my label. That was on yours.
0: I'm trying to think the first time I heard of your stuff. Anyway, it's really fucking good. Um, and oh, thank you. Um, it's very Detroit influence from what I can hear. I don't know that. Like, tell me if I'm wrong. Um,
1: yes, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely, a huge influence but i think for me it's kind of like it's definitely there but there's there's quite a few dutch artists that are heavily sort of detroit influenced yeah. as well and i sort of reference those uh, sort of okay. as, a, as a kind of initial thing and yeah. that's so it's kind of full circle thing really
0: it's really interesting with the netherlands on how detroit and the netherlands kind of people from detroit or artists from Detroit moved to the Netherlands for long periods of times in their careers and kind of were touring regularly there. And I guess, yeah, it was like the European home for Detroiters for, to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, I think quite a few of the, the well-known ones in the 90s moved over there, didn't yeah. they? I think Derek May spent some time there and Stacey Pullen. And
0: so did Kevin, I
1: think. like that, Kevin, yeah. I
0: think Kevin spent quite a bit of time over there. Um, from what I remember from when I had him on the podcast, um, I want to, I want to dig into a little bit of like, it's very cliche for me to to ask this question and I don't always like asking this question, but I, I want to know more about you and I want people to know more about you. So I kind of wanted to go back to like childhood Mm -hmm. and then let's work, work our way up from, from childhood. So tell me about it. How was it?
1: Uh, well my i'm an only child okay. and i grew up in rural Leicestershire i'm definitely midlands, gonna say the there's, a,
0: there's a mid midlands accent going <laughs> on going there
1: yeah east midlands accent um <clears throat> so my my parents are not really music people i mean having said that though the, my mum is into sort of more sort of alternative stuff and cliche pop. So Mm. I remember being a kid and she'd be playing stuff like Jean-Michel Jarre and Enigma and stuff like that, which I found quite interesting. And then um, my dad had various different jobs over the years, but one of them was to drive a coach. And one of the jobs that he did was driving the kids home from the local secondary school and dropping them off at various places nearby in the local area Mm when i was at primary school probably about nine or ten something like that the coach that he drove used to stop outside our house so he'd stop with all these kids on i'd get on the coach and then we'd drive (laughs) to the to the nearby towns and stuff dropping the kids off and they'd come up with their rave tapes yeah put them on oh wow so i was hearing like Early prodigy yeah. and like, you know, the sort of hard early hardcore stuff, early jungle, yeah, where these kids were playing on the coach. And I was like completely like engaged with yeah, it. You know, yeah. I thought it was amazing. But yeah. but I was so young I didn't really know what it was or where you could listen mm. to that music. It wasn't on the radio or anything, you know. And then um when I went to secondary school, we went on a school trip down to devon actually to do like a a week-long uh thing activity week and um one of my mates had a walkman and he had a mickey finn damn tape from 95 yeah and it was like all these and later on i found out that a lot of the stuff that he was playing in this set was like early shy effects records stuff like that yeah yeah and uh i was like wow what is this yeah. you know it was amazing and um i was like Where, where'd you get this music from so he said oh there's a shop in leicester called 5hq mm. and they sell these tape packs there so i'd like found this shop which was really difficult to find but once you were there it, they had like all this amazing music yeah. you know so i started buying the tapes and getting really into that and then Eventually started buying records and then getting turntables. Mm. And then I was just like completely obsessed with drum and bass music really? for years.
0: Interesting. Was it big in Leicester?
1: Yeah, because um <clears throat> was quite a famous jungle D and B DJ called DJ SS, who's from yeah. Leicester, and he ran a label and still does called Formation Records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um he would put on quite big events yeah. in leicester and get all the big names to come play at it he did stuff at leicester university regularly oh, these big all-night raves and stuff and he really built a scene there it was amazing really and there was lots of other little parties that kind of sprung up from that so actually although we i wasn't in london like it was it was not a bad scene yeah. in yeah what year are we talking? Probably like early 2000s, like 2001, yeah, to that kind of, yeah, yeah. maybe a bit before then, actually, because I got my turntables around the time of the millennium. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: the millennium bug, can you remember that? Yeah, I do remember.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck was that all about? Well, everyone thought that everything was just gonna crap, gonna stop to a halt. Yeah,
0: was it because it was based on the date?
1: was this thing where it was saying that you know computers <laughs> couldn't deal with the fact that it was going to tick over yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like planes were going to fall out of the sky and all this kind of stuff i
0: remember it's quite that. funny really yeah i remember that yeah there was so much hype about that
1: i know i know i remember being at school being quite scared about yeah. it but then everybody just kind of carried on normally on new year's day and that was it then. nothing
0: happened yeah, it's like it was like the first conspiracy theory that was like big in the media, that mm. like was just an absolute joke. Yeah, um, good times. Sorry, yeah. I, I took us on a tangent there.
1: It's all right. Um, so yeah, just got kind of involved in the local scene in Leicester. Met loads of people. Started playing a little bit in Leicester. Yeah. Then I went um, to Manchester and got on a course in. Salford at mm. university there to study acoustics. Mm. Oh, interesting! And part of the part of the reason for for moving to Manchester it was a really good course to do, but also there was an amazing drum and bass scene in Manchester mm. at that time. So you had like Marcus Intellects, yeah. all that kind of solar stuff was just kicking off. Calibre was coming over mm. regularly to play. Um and it was it was amazing. Like the the solution nights. I was going to watch Marcus play Caliber was the resident. Yeah. And it was like it was so good. Just got really embroiled in all the all the D and B stuff there. It
0: and was then, a proper then...
1: scene then. Like yeah. early
0: two thousands or just nineties, early two thousands. It was the same in Bristol. Um up until like well, Bristol's still got a huge and Bay scene. Um but like yeah. up until I'd say mid two thousands when it was like two thousand ten, it kind of dropped off a little bit. Mm. Um, but it's always been drum and bass has always been huge down south.
1: Yeah. For some reason. The, well, the whole Bristol sound is like a massive thing, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's, you know, I've listening to some of those early DJ Die records again today. Actually,
0: I want to get him on the podcast. I really oh, want to get him on the podcast. All that
1: crew are amazing. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it was I I
0: always like <clears throat> I rebelled against drum and bass because everyone was listening to drum and bass when I and I was like no, I want to listen to house and techno. Mm. And I was wasn't a fan of drum and bass for a very long time until I got to like till I was like 17 and I was like okay, I'll accept it. <laughs> but like everyone around me just loved drum and bass. And that was when <clears throat> I was I was growing up when it kind of got a little bit more commercialized.
1: Yeah, I think when when Pendulum came along. That was it, yeah. That that really changed things because I remember going out in Manchester and then I remember saying to friends, like, when those early Pendulum tunes were getting big in the charts and stuff, there was like a whole influx of new people yeah. coming to these parties. The parties suddenly got bigger. It yeah. was all these new people that you were seeing. And it was like, okay, something's happening now, you know? Mm. Um, but when I was doing my course, I did three years in Manchester and then I had to do a year in industry. Mm. So I came down to this area yeah, and worked close to London and, um, started playing a little bit in London. Um, but also because the sound was changing and it yeah. was getting a bit more radio friendly and commercial, I sort of started to, to kind of disengage with yeah. it a bit. And was- and because we were in London, like I had a friend who was also doing his year out locally and he mm. was really into house and techno. So I would go out with him a little bit in London. So we'd go to like fabric and places like yeah. that. And it was at that point where I realized that a lot of the sounds in drum and bass that I loved came from techno or Detroit techno, yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is where this music comes from, you yeah. Know? And then I went back to uni, didn't do any music at all because I was so kind of focused on just getting my degree finished, mm. and then came back down this way. I still so the company I did my year out with, I still work for now. Oh,
0: really? No way, yeah. that's yeah. amazing.
1: So, um, yeah, and that was well I graduated in 2008 so mm. I've been there full time since then
0: as an acoustician
1: um, yeah acoustic consultant that's Damn. my day job
0: you are literally the best man to know when it comes to doing studios then
1: yeah studio stuff i don't tend to get involved in i mean i know a bit about it but i'm more i do sort of noise impact assessments okay. mainly so um it's more planning related development work so designing buildings for plant noise and entertainment Mm. noise and stuff like that um
0: that's interesting
1: yeah yeah and that's a whole like other conversation to (laughs) to talk about that to be honest but um anyway I, I, i came back down and then just kind of really fell out of love with drum and bass and got really into techno and um that that was it, really. I just sort of started DJing a bit locally. Yeah. Put on a little night in Hitchin, and then we, we moved to London. Me mm. and some friends started putting on nights in London, and I was then making techno. And then probably around 2009 or t- 10, something like that, I, I did a gig in Liverpool. Yeah. And this guy called Jamie Anderson was playing. Yeah and that's where i met jamie yeah and he like i mean we're, we're still like best mates now jamie's he,
0: wicked he's such a nice guy
1: he's he's the man like he really helped me yeah and um yeah and 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 we we sort of really hit it off and he he, he helped develop me with my production and then signed some stuff to his art form label mm. and and i was off and away really
0: often now you're now you're here <clears throat> yeah jamie i i he, jamie helped me with the record years ago um i don't want to say the record because it's awful and i hate it now but at the time it was amazing <laughs> and yeah he's super talented i was listening to his idiot proof stuff the other day
1: yeah, uh, yeah i haven't heard
0: the new stuff that they're doing
1: but oh, it's was, wicked yeah
0: i i can't wait for it to come out is it out yeah. yet
1: I think it's about to come yeah. out. I'm not quite sure. Oh, they was, as idiot
0: proof so good. Like really fucking good. But so
1: did you know Jamie when he was in Bristol or no, was it, had it, he gone by that point? He's
0: in, he was in Berlin by then. I went and worked with him in Berlin in the in the basement. Is he still in the same yeah. studio?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was sharing with Florian Mindall, Yeah. Um but Florian then moved out and he sharing with someone else
0: now. Okay. Yeah. That that whole studio share's so what such a wild concept to me. <laughs> Where it's like somebody comes and works at night and then somebody comes and works in the, the day. I'm like, who are these people that are working at like from midnight to six in the
1: morning? I Yeah. I'm I'm a I'm definitely a morning person.
0: Yeah, I'm nine. I to get five. up early.
1: I love working early in the morning. Yeah.
0: Do you? I'm, I love it, yeah. It for me it's like I treat it like a job, so it's like I wake up and I, I'm like go to the gym and then get in the studio, and then I might work till like midnight if I'm working on something that needs to get done, but like mm-hmm. I, it's very much like, okay, five's done. If I've not got anywhere and I don't need to carry on working on something, then I will just hang up my headphones for the day and yeah, move on. I
1: mean, there's a danger of like just overdoing it, isn't there, and burning out.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I. I think also I feel like there's a part part of your music creation production career where you have to just you have to just put the hours in and you have oh, totally, and yeah. you have to just yeah. like get good and that takes hours and hours and hours years and years and years of just like getting good. Um, you just got
1: to do it. Yeah,
0: literally. But I think when there comes there comes a point where it's like okay technically you can do everything and now it's purely the like creative side of things i think that's where you kind of well, for me is like i need to give it time and i don't need to write another club record that sounds the same as that i've done before it's like i need to go and do something else so what do i need to do to be, become creative to then make a different record um
1: yeah it's funny because um i'm not sure if you know but i had surgery a few weeks ago in my back
0: yeah you mentioned something
1: yeah um so i've not been working since since i had the operation but i've been able to just kind of do little bits in the studio yeah it most days actually and just just doing it every day over a couple of weeks. I feel like so sharp at the moment, yeah. you know, I feel in such a good place with my music because normally as I'm a, I'm a single dad, I've yeah. got two young kids. So I'm looking after them in the week That's a lot. and um, they see their mom at weekends, which gives me a bit of a break. Mm. But normally it's like working full time, being a dad and then trying to do the music in the week. Yeah. It's like, it's full on, you know? So, how do you,
0: how do you balance it?
1: Oh, Sometimes I just don't know to yeah. be honest. There's, I go through with the music side; it's like I go through periods where I'm just I'm just too tired to yeah. do it, so yeah. I I just can't I can't force it. And then it? other times I'm feeling really creative, and then it's kind of like just. But it's always in short spurts, yeah. you know. I, I
0: totally agree. Cause I think sometimes like what I was saying is sometimes you have to force it at the beginning, but when you're trying to create something creative and you're not just doing it just to learn, like you can't force it. You really can't. And I think also, I don't know about how you work, but for me it's like, I'm going into the studio trying to write a record. I'm not going into the studio to just jam. Like I've never been a yeah. jammer. Um, yeah. do you, are you a jammer?
1: Um, not really i'm always intending to kind of come up with an idea and then finish it yeah through i mean i I sort of well so i learned to produce with drum and bass Mm. to a certain level and then when i started doing techno i had a bit of a grounding but then kind of had to learn how to kind of get a good sound with techno and that's that's evolved over a long time um but when I switched to doing techno, I set myself a, a target and I said every every idea that I start, I have to finish it. Yeah. And I've always stuck to that. Like it's I think really... there's like just a couple of tracks where I've started it and just thought, oh, I'm not <laughs> gonna finish this. Literally like I've finished everything. Yeah. And it, it really helped me learn how to finish tracks, you know?
0: It's a really good tool to to do. It's a really good tool to like work out how to finish records so many people can't finish records and like don't get me wrong you don't have to finish them like so they're perfect but like there's a level to where it's like i can now finish records and i have 50 unfin. i have 50 records that are, that at this time might not sound great to me but in a year's time i listen back and go that was fucking amazing and now yeah. we can sign them like it. yeah i think it's so valuable to have that
1: and also just knowing when it's finished yeah yeah, you
0: know, mm. it's hard to know that. It's really hard. Um, sorry, we went on a tangent. Balancing, balancing your life. With yeah, I mean, it's job. kind
1: of evolved quite a bit since COVID because, mm. um, well, it was just impossible to kind of look after the kids and work. So yeah. I went on furlough for quite a few months. Yeah, which which helps a lot actually. Yeah. Um, for my sanity more than anything. <laughs> but uh, um yeah, and 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 then since then, I mean my my employer's been amazing really, that they, they allow me to work flexibly. So with uh, I said I love working on in the morning. I mean that applies to anything really. Yeah. So I tend to get up early, five or six, mm. do some work, then the kids get up, they yeah. go to school come back work till about three and then I'm kind of done for the day yeah. most most nice. days and then it's like pick the kids up and then I have a bit of time for myself yeah. do a bit of exercise a bit of music hang out with the kids and then and then it's kind of off to bed for them and then me a bit later yeah so it's just it's every day is slightly different but we've kind of got into a, a good routine now yeah that's amazing so, yeah it's 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 kind of you you sort of push yourself to operate on a level you know and it's like sometimes when you stop like i have done now because of my surgery i'm like wow like
0: how was i doing that that's insane yeah yeah yeah. yeah. (laughs) i feel you i i think it's similar in certain situations not necessarily with me but like with like some of the huge artists that are touring like four days a week all year round and you're just like, and then you look back and you're like, how, how the fuck have you done that? Mm, like mm. just the, the pressure you put on yourself as well, but you got to fucking do it at the end of the day. No one yeah. else is going to do what you can do. So it's like, you just got to do what you got to do. And I think there comes a level of that where you just get on with it and you just, it's got to be done. So you yeah. got to do it.
1: Definitely. Yeah, yeah I think also like I try to lead, lead quite a sort of healthy lifestyle now. So yeah. I lost a lot of weight mm. a few years ago and got fitter, and that really helped me and changing my diet stuff like that. Yeah. So that that enables me to kind of balance things a bit better. How,
0: how did you change your diet?
1: What did so you? So it's it's funny actually. I was, so I've got two two sons. My oldest one is nine, and my youngest is um, hes turning... No, sorry, my eldest is eight, and my youngest is turning seven in March. Yeah. And when my youngest was born, I was listening to an interview with Chris Liebing.
0: Yeah.
1: And he was talking about veganism. Okay. And he said that when, when he turned vegan, he had this insane amount of energy. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, at the time... And there's literally eighteen months of the day between my two sons, yeah, in age. and um so I had this newborn baby and an eighteen month year old toddler. and it was just it was just nuts. yeah, it was, it was nuts. so I was so exhausted, I was like, oh, a bit of energy could yeah. do with that at the moment, you know, And he was talking about like the environmental side of it and health benefits and food industry and all this animal welfare kind of stuff and he's like oh you should watch this documentary if you're interested in this called cowspiracy netflix so okay when i watched that and i was like oh wow this is like a quite a big thing you know yeah so i thought i'd just give it a go and started off by doing like one meal a day for a week and then did two meals and then after that i just went full vegan and felt absolutely amazing yeah just felt like i didn't need to sleep as much had so much energy and i could eat because i I don't have the best relationship with food so um i uh i find that if i have these rules where i can't have certain things it, it helps me yeah yeah um so you know, not being able to eat dairy and stuff, which I'd love to love cheese and stuff like that before. So that, that, that helped me. Um, And yeah, I've been vegan ever since. That's nearly seven years now.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the thing is with, with diet, it's just whatever works for you, right? Like I've got friends that do the carnivore diet and it's the best thing they've ever done. And I got things that do keto, and it's the best thing that's ever happened to them. And vice, and same with vegan, vegetarian. It's just whatever fucking makes works for you. I think everyone's bodies are so different, mm-hmm. um, unless you're doing something for the environmental side of things, um, which I respect massively. But I do think you can, if you're willing to, you can do, you can eat that, you can eat meat in and with a healthy environment on top of that as well if you're willing to do that um yeah it's just it's hard but it's definitely doable especially in the uk we have great meat in the uk and we we have all of that but Mm. yeah it's it's interesting how many people nowadays are going down that route and i think it's i think it's great as long as it makes you feel good that's all that matters right
1: yeah and it's mad because um A couple of years ago, my dad was really suffering with arthritis. Yeah. And um, I I said, you should watch, watch this documentary. And they were, I can't remember which one it was now, but they were talking about vegan diets helping people with arthritis yeah. and he was in that much pain he was just like well i'll give I'll it a go yeah, yeah. And he was the last person you would expect <laughs> to be vegan he used to constantly like take the piss out of me yeah and <laughs> me, like, it'd be like you know if we go out for, for food like i was just always the awkward one yeah to him you know yeah, yeah and he's in his like late 70s yeah and um and one day he just said no i'm gonna i'm gonna do it and and so him and my mom have been vegan for a few years, yeah. and and they're like the last people you'd expect, yeah, yeah.
0: Especially that age yeah. g- age group is like very meat and two veg, isn't it? Like, and it massively works. helped him. Yeah.
1: He's like, in, I mean, he's not gone the arthritis, but it's hugely reduced. Yeah,
0: yeah. That, it makes sense. I think it's also limitation diets, isn't it? It's like you're limiting yourself to what you can and can't have, and I think that automatically means that you're not putting as if you're eating a healthy vegan life, like you're not putting as much shit in your body at all. Like mm. it's very easy to like, there's a lot of things that have dairy in that you, that you don't realize have dairy. in, And the minute you start looking, you're like, Oh shit, I can't have that. I can't have this. I can't have that. And you're like, well, I'm only eating very raw things if you know what I mean. And I, I don't know if I agree with all the fake meats and stuff like that, but it,
1: yeah, I don't really do that. Uh, I, I, I find it a bit odd. Like Sometimes it's quite nice, but generally I just don't really try and eat food which imitates meat, meat or other dairy stuff, you know?
0: I just don't think it's like, yeah.
1: I, and processed food as exactly well, I, I try and cut all that out.
0: That's the thing is I know people that are vegans and they have the worst possible diet.
1: Yeah, and it's like it's, it's very easy to
0: do. It's it's kind of like if you're not willing to put the to the research in on what you should be eating and shouldn't be, and like it's easy to go to McDonald's and get ch- chips, get some fries, and get the vegan burger, and you think you're eating healthy. No, you're eating worse mm-hmm. than what you would be if you're eating uh, meat. Um, but yeah, I think realistically, like if you're eating healthy foods, it's great. How did that change how did that help your mental as well did that change change your mental
1: oh yeah I would say so I think I developed better concentration mm. and um, just generally felt great happier yeah love that but also like I I mean I, I can't at the moment because I'm recovering from my surgery but I exercised. A lot. Yeah. I love to exercise, and that that helps keep me calm and mm. and um, you know a bit more balanced.
0: Yeah, totally. What what did you do to your back if you don't mind me asking?
1: So uh, when I was younger, I used to play cricket. Yeah, um, didn't play for about fifteen years, and I started playing a little bit in the garden with my kids because the they showed a bit story. of interest.
0: This is the classic story.
1: I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, tried to get them enrolled at the local cricket club. Yeah. Because the club here is absolutely amazing. They yeah. they sold off a bit of their land for housing, mm. came into a load of money, and completely rebuilt the whole club. Amazing. And they've got top facilities there. Yeah. So, I was like, okay, this would be a really good thing for the boys to get into. So, um, inquired about getting them in. And they were just a bit too young still last last or the summer just gone but i i was quite keen to try it again so they said oh you should come down to the net so i went down and then they asked me if i wanted to have a game and then started playing a few games and i thought i had quite a decent level of fitness so i can i can run like half marathons and and all this kind of stuff but that doesn't mean anything when you can which I quickly found out and almost every match I would injure myself doing something or other. And then how it's just the strength. So like tearing a hamstring when you are setting off to run, okay, yeah. uh, there was one match where I dived to stop the ball. And just before the ball it came flying towards me and hit a divot and popped up and smacked me in the mouth. <laughs> my mouth just ballooned out and was blood pouring out everywhere <laughs> who would have thought
0: um, who would have thought cricket was so violent
1: it's brutal mate it's i don't
0: really i don't think it's brutal at all but
1: <laughs> them balls are hard yeah they're brutal yeah. yeah but they anyway i started bowling a bit in the in the nets practicing yeah. and uh the, the guy who was standing captain for one, one match that I was playing. He said, oh, you look quite good in this. You should bowl. So I like, okay. So I was bowling and was getting smacked all over the place, but then got a wicket. So he's like, oh, I can't take you off now because you've just got someone out. So i have to keep you, keep you going. And um, basically, as I ran in, you sort of jump and transfer your weight through your pelvis yeah. and the disc right at the base of my spine prolapsed basically oh. so it, it came out and I had the worst pain you've ever felt in my lower back um the pain kind of went but then I was left with sciatica yeah. which is like the shooting pain down down my right leg through the nerves and mm-hmm. what happens is the, the disc has bulged out and you've got all the nerves that go down your the back yeah. of your spine and the, the disc was pushing on the nerves yeah. giving me the pain so I was having physio to kind of manage it. It was okay. Um, but then about six weeks ago, I got up early one morning, was like half asleep, not thinking, and just bent down to put my trousers on. And it just went again, but oh. really badly. And the, yeah, just the sciatica got worse, but also, which was quite scary, I couldn't... Um, I lost a load of strength in the in the leg, so mm. I couldn't run. I Couldn't walk properly, I was sort of hobbling along, yeah. So I went to see the physio again, and he said, Oh, this is this is quite bad now, so you mm-hmm. need to see a, a specialist. So I went to see the specialist, and he said, I'll do a scan on it so we know what's going on. But I think you've got a prolapse disc because I didn't know what it was up until that point, yeah. Um, so had the scan, then it came back, and he says, Yeah, it is, it is what I thought, uh, because you've got the loss of strength normally if you just had sciatica you just kind of manage it with rehabilitation but because you've lost the strength as well that's quite serious so he said the best thing to do is have surgery and they basically it's called a microscopic discectomy. yeah so they make a small hole in your back and they they go in and basically remove the bit of the disc that's that's prolapsed Mm. clean it all out and Put it back. Put in. it back. So when I woke up from the surgery, I had no sciatica. The, I didn't have full sort of strength back in my leg, but it felt a lot better. Wow. It, and that was like That's literally amazing. a few hours later. I was walking up and down the, the corridor slowly in the hospital.
0: So do you feel – is it like you feel much better now than it did yeah, before? Yeah, so
1: I got, the, the leg feels like i got a new leg. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um. But – I'm still suffering with the pain in my lower back where they've obviously gone in yeah. with this with the
0: operation. How long will that take to recover?
1: So I can't drive for 6 weeks. Oh, which is a killer. And I had the surgery done in Hatfield, um That's which why, is why bro. I had to go there today to yeah. have the dressings changed oh, actually. Okay. Um but uh, yeah, 6 6 weeks no driving. they sign me off for work for three weeks and then i'll recover a bit more over christmas as well because i'll I'll be off um but basically like no exercise for six to eight weeks yeah which is a real killer for me because i i love to be active you know
0: just being outside isn't it just the mental it's just like i wait i went for a run this morning with a mate and it's just it you your brain is just so good afterwards yeah i love running yeah are you going to be able to run again? I
1: think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of the strength in the leg, it might take a couple of months to get fully back to normal. Yeah, but I'm reasonably confident I could run on it at the moment. Mm. But I, I'm not allowed to. Don't risk it. Of my back, you know. Yeah,
0: it's so mad, though, isn't it? Because it's like the back and the neck is so crazily important in our lives i know that sounds stupid to say but it's like yeah the minute you have a bad back like i i I lift quite a lot and that 2019 going into 2020 i was literally it was two days before new year's eve in 2019 and i was squatting and i literally just re-racked the the um the barbell and i don't know what i did but it just put my back out completely and ever since then like i've i've never been able to like lift as heavy as i used to because i used to be able to lift pretty heavy um and a fair amount of times i've had like back like from lifting like my back is just agony and it it puts me I still can walk and I can still do everything, but it's agony. Like touring and traveling, and I remember that that 2019 that that New Year's Eve going into twenty twenty. I I used to travel with like a GoPro, mm-hmm. and I had a tripod on, like a mini handheld tripod. The whole set of New Year's Eve, I had to like push the tripod into my back to like oh. ease, to ease the pain, and you just like. I, You forget how grateful you are when you're pain-free.
1: Exactly.
0: And how, like, we just get along with life and how lucky we are. And then the minute something bad happens, you're like, oh, my God, when is this going to get better? Because it's, it's agony, man.
1: It makes you miserable as well because, yeah. I mean, I just remembered, like, when I had the surgery, the relief I had in my leg, yeah. I just instantly felt, so much better. Yeah. Mentally. And you don't really realize it at the time, but it just wears you down. Yeah. You know?
0: <clears throat> yeah. My dad broke his back, um, years ago, years and years ago. And like, I remember like the healing per- period for him as well. And it was just, it took, it was, it was about a year of mm. just like get <clears throat> constantly like, but it, <sighs> And it's just always there. It's always like a dull pain. And you're like, yeah. fuck, that is awful. Don't ride horses. That's that's the thing. Oh, is that how he yeah. did it? Yeah, he fell off a horse. Oof. But yeah, we're lucky, man. We're lucky to be healthy. We're lucky to have healthcare as well in, in the UK. I know people talk shit on the NHS, but we're very lucky to have... Did you do, Did you get it done on the NHS or private?
1: Well, I was I was very lucky because my work I've got Private. insurance through yeah. work. So, <clears throat> I mean, to have <clears throat> to to kind of do do my back in and within five weeks have mm-hmm. surgery is yeah. pretty insane, really. So, um, I'm I'm just very lucky. Yeah, I yeah. Man. Would have might have been waiting a year or two, otherwise, you know. Yeah, on the NHS.
0: That's the crazy thing with the NHS. If you're dying. If you've got cancer, if you're, like, on death's door, they'd sort you out good and proper. But if you've got something where you're, like, it's life-changing, but it's not life-threatening, it's... They take changes, yeah. sadly. I hope they change it. It's
1: really yeah. It's, yeah, it's a bit of a worry, isn't it, really?
0: Especially for, like, the younger generations, um, like, of what's to come. I think they can fix it. Um, just needs the right people, really. take time Mm. um let's talk a little bit about music um so you i know we kind of scooped around from you started making techno um we didn't really kind of move forward from there so when you start when you met jamie and you started making techno what was kind of like the evolution next from there
1: Uh, well, I was doing parties in London, so me and some mates used to do a party called Kaizen, and it was only ever a small thing, but, um, we did it at a few little venues around London, Mm. and that kind of helped build my DJ profile a little bit in London, uh, and then that kind of got to the point where I it was a lot of work putting on a party a yeah a lot of work as you probably know yeah um and it just got a bit too much and i was kind of like well my production is kind of is going in the right direction yeah and it just i just kind of got to a bit of a cross crossroads with it so mm-hmm. i decided we weren't going to do any more parties again And my friends were fine with that and we all kind of went off in our own Different yeah. directions, and I sort of worked on myself as a producer. Mm. But around that time, I started DJing at other places, so I'd, I'd play at Fabric and yeah. other places, and then that that opened up a few doors. Um, then I'd go over to Berlin and play like Trezor and places like mm. that, uh, and then it, it all just kind of all went in the in in a sort of upward trajectory yeah. really like the the releases the music was getting better getting on bigger labels and stuff like that playing better places and then yeah. I, I met um so there's this crew from berlin uh mike denner his label fact mm-hmm. and i was a huge fan of them yeah when when they were sort of putting out lots of records and stuff and um got really pally with roman lindahl Mm -hmm. and i'd done this track called rings of smoke yeah and he was playing it a lot and he was trying to get mike to sign it because they they were a bit of a closed shop really like there was just the three of them mike sasha rydell and roman um and then he eventually convinced mike i met mike in berlin and um And then and then I put out the record on Factwork, and then that kind of opened up a few more doors. So they would do a regular part, like a label party at Bergkine yeah, once a year. So that he kind of got me in at Bergine, amazing. Um, So I was playing there a little bit, and then that kind of boosts your profile a bit more. So then you can kind of play other places off the back of that, you know. It all just kind of, you know, it works. It just kind of goes from there. But um, well, it's also a
0: really interesting industry that you're in. It's like. In genre-wise, it's different to kind of the 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 kind of parts that I walk in to a certain extent. Is like you're in the way cooler section, and <laughs> than <laughs> what I have. <laughs> and like one of my housemate actually um, in Detroit, he is kind of walks in that realm as well. He he goes under the artist name Oon, U U um, N. Okay, and it's very like it always feels like I talked to him about, and it always feels like it's a very closed off part. And it's like very hard to get into places, but when you're in, you're in. And, um, how, how does that, how do you manage to deal with that? Because it's, is it something you just take in your stride or is it something that you like set out to, to do? Is it like, okay, I want to play Burkhine, how do I get there? Or is it like, no, I'm just writing music and just seeing?
1: I mean, it was always a goal to play at Burkhine, and I can't really deny that it was a massive influence, but it wasn't like a tactical thing of, Mm. I've got to get on this label to get there so I can get to this point. It was more like the the music I love is being played at places like that that's the kind of sound that I want to be in, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'll I'll kind of do my own interpretation of it yeah. and kind of work it like that. I mean, I'm quite lucky in the sense that I've got a full-time job, so I'm not reliant financially on, on this at all. So I just kind of say, well, I'm not going to do things for money. I'm just going to do things artistically because that's what, drives me which is instead. an
0: amazing it's, a, it's an amazing thing and I think I think it was like a Rick Rubin quote that I saw and he's like just be an artist you don't have to it doesn't have to be a full-time thing just be just be creative and create whatever you want to create because it's whatever you want it's not about turning your create creation into finance Mm. and if 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 it does then happy days and if it doesn't then you're still creating and it's still it's still an outlet of of your creative side but how would it be a goal to go full-time in music or is that something that you're not that interested in
1: it used to be yeah i was so kind of like focused on getting to that point okay well the first step would be to reduce my hours at work and yeah. go more part-time there and then have more time for the music yeah and do it gradually but as time's gone on i mean i've been doing it for quite quite a long time now and you kind of see things come and go yeah and you you see artists come and go as well yeah. and trends and stuff i think it's very difficult to kind of get to that point and i'm a bit more realistic about my goals now i think totally um, so I think, and also you just find like pleasure in other things in life as well. Mm, yeah. So just being a dad is like one of the most amazing things yeah. ever, you know, just being at home with your kids and playing with them in the garden. Yeah. Like you you can't put a price on that, you know? Yeah. So, um, it w you know, if it, I kind of like, if it happens, that would be great, but I wouldn't want to sacrifice other parts of my life like being a dad yeah to kind of do that selfish thing if you know what i mean totally i'd I'd like to balance it more totally but i am very passionate about the music and you know i'd love making music i love playing and performing it and and traveling and meeting people and stuff so it's it's not like i don't want to do it yeah yeah Yeah.
0: no that makes sense I, i think it's i I I don't think there's anything wrong with that as well. And I think it's like you've lived a lot of life as well. And that's the conclusion you came to. And that's mm. absolutely fine. And I think it's like, I think it's actually really nice for people to hear that listen to the podcast that it's like, it's okay to just do other things. You don't, it doesn't have to be all one thing and you can mm. still enjoy other things of life like i'm a sucker for music and i'm super selfish when it comes to to my career but that's realistically the only way i've got a career is cuz i've given everything else up outside of it like and what suffers from me being full time in music the rest of my life <laughs> really it's like my my i'm really fortunate that i have a really close family Mm. But like I see them very rarely. Um my friends, I see them very rarely. I've been I've not really had a, a relationship for seven years. Like there's mm. there's lots of like the, the the idea of having kids for me is, is, is not on the on the playing field at all. Yeah. Um and there's a lot of those things that like that you do have to sacrifice. To, you don't necessarily always have to sacrifice, but there's a level of sa- of sacrificing something because you just have to be selfish, and I yeah. think and I think that's the thing is that it doesn't, you don't have to do music full time,
1: and I actually but also also for me like I mean I, I I'm quite good mates with Goldie now who that's I it. met basically like it all kind of went full circle with yeah. my drum and bass thing because I was I was so into what Marcus Intellect's was doing. And not long after starting my label, yeah. he got in contact with me and was like, oh, I don't know how I've not found your music before, but it's really great. Jesus. And I was like, I was just like, fucking hell. Like, I just <laughs> emailed him back. I was like, you're my hero. You get all your nights <laughs> and all this. And, um, and then kind of struck up a bit of a friendship with him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's tragic what happened to him. He passed away, but um, I met quite a lot of other people close to him. Wait, who passed that. away? Marcus did.
0: I thought you were about Goldie.
1: No, no, Mark, this is this is Marcus. I'll I'll get to Goldie. Ah, okay. Sorry, so, I got
0: so confused then. I was like, wait, Goldie's. I def Goldie's definitely still alive.
1: <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it was through Marcus that I met I met Goldie basically. What and, was Marcus's um, full name? Sorry. Uh, Marcus Intellect. Ah, Intellect. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. And he caught. So he used to do techno under the name Trevino. Yeah. And uh, well, there's a drum and bass guy around the corner from me actually called Skeptical.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: uh, I'm quite good mates with him, and he put me in touch with Goldie, and. Oh, I hit it off with Goldie because, you know, the Marcus connection and stuff. Yeah. But he said to me recently, because I was on the phone to him and he was like, I said, oh, you know, I'm just like not feeling the music at the moment. You know, I'm just doing other things and yeah. taking a break from it. And he's like, don't worry about it. You've got to sometimes do that. Just have yeah. a bit of a break, recharge, and then you'll come back to it. And I, I really feel like that now. Like mm-hmm. over the summer, I didn't, didn't do much. But then... I feel like so energized again with the music, again, yeah. you know. Just having that little break really helped me.
0: It's so important. And I think having being able to have the break does make your... like you can't always be creative. And I think the difference in our world is because it's very much single based. Like work. Like you're mm. just you're expected to release bangers, right? And if mm. if your record doesn't do well, within the next within the first month of it being released even sometimes two weeks it's like on to the next and then on to the next and it's just a constant release whereas we look at like bands right and Mm. kind of the, the the more traditional ways of releasing music and albums and it's like well the band goes in to the or the artist goes in to the studio for six months they write an album they then release the album they then tour the album for a year and then they take a year off and then they start the the whole process again. And I think yeah. the difference with the DJ culture is that you have singles every month sometimes, every quarter, whatever, and then you're touring all the time, 24-7. And then during the touring schedule, you're expected to write more bangers. And it, it's non-stop, completely non-stop. Um, and it's hard to be creative 24-7 all the time.
1: How did you find Lockdown...
0: Um, I was really fortunate. Uh, so the beginning of 2020, I launched my label pre lockdown. Um, and then I'd just done an open to close tour, which was like 20 dates in America open to close. And then it was locked Um, I had a lot of releases ready for the record label already for my label. that's, And we just carried on releasing. Um, and i wrote a lot i i went in on lockdown and just wrote so much music mm. i struggled with i was also very fortunate i came out of america and i came back to somerset where i have my place i live next door to my parents so like i get to see yeah. them every day like i live in the countryside in the countryside lockdown didn't really kind of happen if you know what i mean it's like i could still mm-hmm. walk around my walk around and exercise every day and I was very, very fortunate. So lockdown didn't, I didn't struggle with lockdown. What I struggled with the most was coming out of lockdown on and the creativity. Is I was burnt out because I'd written so much mm. during lockdown where, and I also came out of lockdown with a completely different perspective on my music and where I want to take things. Um, and I'm still going through that a little bit. Well, I'm writing a lot of music, but it's still like not exactly where it, where i want it to be at this moment in time mm. um what about you
1: uh well i found the first initial bit very difficult because i was i was at home yeah. with the kids I, I was on furlough um and just was not in the best headspace yeah. like i was kind of though know, had it together but just was a bit concerned about what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, after a little while, I was like, okay, I'm going to try and get back on the music. Cause I've got a bit more time, but because, but up until then I was just like, well, there's no real context for this mm-hmm. music. Yeah. Like if I write some dance floor tunes, there's no dance floor to play them on. Yeah. So what's the point? Um, but then I got this new synth. I got the Behringer Model D, yeah, which is the Mini Moog emulator. Yeah, and then it was just like, this is the synth that I've needed for years, Your which life. I've never <laughs> had. I ne- and I didn't know that I needed to yeah, do yeah. like proper like chunky chord sounds yeah. and stabs and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, this is fucking amazing, mm. and I, that was it. Then I was off. So is it wrote, polyphonic? Like, no, it's monophonic, monophonic, but it's got um, duophonic on it. Three free oscillators and you can uh, okay. tune them all differently to yeah, make yeah. a chord basically yeah. amazing they do do a polyphonic version but it's a lot more expensive yeah anyway once i got that i was just like i just i was off then i think i wrote about four albums worth of tunes damn um and was just like loving it mm. and that was the, the so the album that i put out on needed pains the tungsten album was was the result of of just working up stuff over mm. lockdown
0: it's such a fucking good album as well man like i love that oh album. thank you It's
1: really really good it um, was just like i was always like overthinking what would be the concept for an album how it should sound what the track should be yeah and i just got in this amazing headspace i was just writing every day just seeing what happened, and then before I knew it, I got a bunch of tracks which all work together as a as an album, you know. And I, yeah. and I sent it to Alex, and he's like, "Yeah, it's great. Let's put it out." <laughs> didn't didn't say anything about like changing stuff. He was just like, "No, that's that's good." That's, this is why it.
0: I love Alex. And we're talking Alex from Dense and Pika that runs Needed Pains, also runs Hypercolor. Um, I want to get him on the podcast, but he doesn't do interviews. He won't do an interview. He's a fucking wanker for it.
1: But he should get him on as Minder. I
0: know I really should. I love his Minder stuff actually. Um, yeah, it's wicked,
1: but it's I he, love he lets you be a full artist. This he is does, the he, thing. He, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't interfere at all, and that's really refreshing.
0: I he he tried there was one record I sent him an EP for it. it I can't remember which one it was, and he like sent me some feedback on it, and he was like. I think you should try this. And then literally like a day later, he was like, completely ignore everything I said. It's a great record. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love and I think because he's like been so he's so um, experienced in releasing records and puts zero pressure on everything. there's there's zero there's zero pressure. like nothing's gonna do really well nothing's going to do really bad. And it's not the fact that he doesn't work it and they're not going to work it. He just knows that this is how records work. Is that like, you never know if something's going to do well. So let's just put it out and hope.
1: It's always a bit of a lottery.
0: Especially in in like the more underground you go. It's Mm -hmm. like, and the more cooler, like more left kind of genres. It's like, is somebody going to pick it up? Who knows? Is is it mm. going to do well? Is a DJ's going to play it? Uh, if DJ's play it, is Shazam going to pick? Is is Spotify going to pick it up? Because we definitely mm. know radio. is not going to be on a radio, apart from like maybe a Radio Six or Annie Nightingale or something like really left. But well, you
1: might get it on an on a essential mix or something. Exactly. Like that, where yeah, they've got someone interesting on. Yeah,
0: but it's it's never going to be like a list radio one. Right, so yeah, it's like yeah. there's only a certain level that these records can actually go to um, when you're purely making strict underground techno records. It's 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 the only. So and I, I that's why I love the record label as well because it's like I can just tell he he gives he just allows everyone to do what they want to do, mm. which creates amazing music
1: but I, I also was able to do a lot of thinking through lockdown. So with my, cause I, I'd been going under the, the artist name Roberto for, yeah. for years and we kind of got to the point where it's like people trying to find you on Spotify and stuff. It's difficult because the name's not that unique, you yeah. know? Um, so I changed it to fossil archive, which is the name of my label. Cause it's a bit more unique, but, it's it's funny because like it seemed like the sound just before lockdown had really changed in yeah. techno. So it got a lot faster, a lot more aggressive, darker. Shitter. And that's just not really... Yeah, it's just <laughs> not me, you know? Yeah. So you suddenly find yourself in a position where you could go and play Burkine and Trezor and Fabric Room 2 quite easily because yeah. that's that's the kind of stuff they're booking. And then all of a sudden... You it's can't not, play those places anymore, yeah. and where do you where do you fit? So I was thinking, yeah. well, I don't want to stop doing my Roberto fossil archives stuff, and I still do that sound. But I thought, well, that that kind of faster stuff. The only other people that I find that do it really well is like the Advent and Steve Rackmad, as Sterak, and people like that. Mm. And, I, and the old sort of hard groove records, those Ben yeah. Sims type stuff Sims from the early 2000s. Yeah.
0: I really like that. I, um... like, well, I, I
1: love all that stuff, so why don't I just kind of do my own version of that? Because yeah. that would still be relevant. Um, So I started this RMK alias, mm. and I was thinking, who could I send? it? I just started playing around, like, 140 BPM, really, like, loopy, functional yeah. stuff, but, like, funky and a bit more soulful in places as well you know yeah um and then i kept seeing nastier pop up mm. she was playing this kind of stuff so I, I and i knew that she would she'd been playing my stuff before so i got in contact with her i said oh I've come up with this new project what do you think she's like oh this is really cool keep sending me tracks so i just was writing stuff for her basically Amazing. for her to play in a set yeah and then that kind of took off, and it's like I've got to the point now where, although the RMK name is not like a big thing, it's it's becoming more. It's, or it's giving me more exposure than totally. fossil stuff. Yeah. You know,
0: it's interesting how 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 sounds evolve and some you just have to evolve as a person as well and as as an artist and i think sometimes you just got to do what feels right and if you can start an alias and you you're still writing music that you absolutely love and what's wrong with it i think it's amazing that you can do that like especially
1: it was mad like she she then because she's got this it's necto the label but mm. in uh, ukraine they call it nichita okay and um She's like, oh, we're going to do this party in Kiev. I'd like you to come and play and do a live show as RMK. So Mm. I was like, okay. Anyway, I got there, and it was this old Tetra Pak factory. Amazing. It was like fucking 4,000 capacity. (laughs) The sound system was like just brutal. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I'd only ever done a few live shows as Fossil Archive. Never Mm. played live as RMK, so it was a whole new set to learn. And then she said, Oh, I'll put you she basically put me on the main stage playing after her and before ETAP Kyle and that Daria Daria Kozula, I can't remember what her surname is, yeah. but she plays a lot with ETAP. So it was like the peak time slot <laughs> on the main stage. And I'd only ever put out a couple of tracks on a label <laughs> on a compilation, never played as RMK. And and that was my first RMK live show as wow. well. And it was four thousand people. Fuck it out.
0: I was nerd. just like,
1: oh my God. How do you how do you do a the
0: live show? Like what gear are you working with? Or is it all Ableton?
1: No computer. Oh amazing. Yeah, so I went I played at Fabric a f- few years ago and um I I did the warm up in room two. Finished the set. It was packed in there. And I said to my mate, so let's go and have a look in room one. So we went in there. Mr. G was playing live. Oh, he's the best, man. And it was um, one of the Ben Clock curates nights. Yeah. So he was playing live in room one. And we were stood there watching him on stage. And he had an old MPC mm. 2000 and a Mackie analog mixer. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And I was like, this is how you do it. Yeah. Like this, It sounds phenomenal and is like not somebody just looking at a screen and is totally hands-on and it just looks cool Mm. and I was like oh so I I, mate I work with all the people I work with they're all kind of musicians on the side you know he got an old MPC 1000 like the one before the one Mr G uses and he got an old mixer, and I was like, can I just borrow it to see if I can get something going? And he's like, yeah, it's just like gathering dust in his yeah. flat. So I borrowed it and started getting some sounds out of it, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. So I went out and bought basically the same setup as what Mr. G uses. It's yeah. a MPC, MPC 2000 XL. It's got 32 megabytes of memory. Big. <laughs> and uh it's been converted so it's got um sound card so you've got eight mono outputs mm. and that goes into a 16 channel Mackie mixer yeah it's a live mixer so it's got effects built in mm. and then i use um a reverb pedal as well yeah so then i just run the outputs from the mpc and then it's just like each track is basically eight loops yeah I've got an MPC as uh, a CDJ as well which mm. I cuz the the memory's so small on the MPC yeah if I want to play like vocals or something that's quite quite loud you local. can't use
0: the MPC No, <laughs> so I have
1: to like play it from the CDJ and that that goes into the mixer as well have and that, seen, that's it basically have you it's seen the like newer
0: MPC that they do there's like is it the, the
1: of, live one yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's very cool, yeah. but I I wanted something, like, old Roll. school, and that, that machine is, like, the one from the 90s that yeah. all the hip-hop guys use, so yeah, you yeah. get this amazing sound from it. Yeah. Like, the converters are amazing on it. But once you run that through this analog mixer, it's just, it's so good. It really warm-sounding, you know, and you basically... Play the mixer like an instrument, yeah, and you're arranging on the fly with the faders and the EQ and everything, it's like so much fun.
0: How does it work with like going from record to record?
1: That's what I struggled with initially. So I would literally like do a track, yeah, and then fade it all down and then load up the next one and then go on to the next one and i'd use the cdj to maybe play something yeah some yeah. effects sounds or something in between what i've what i do now because i've with all my rmk stuff i pretty much use the same kick drum yeah. for all the tunes so i've got the same kick drum throughout so i can kind of pull everything back and then maybe just leave the kick and then you go on to the next one, and it just goes seamlessly into the next track. Yeah, and then you can start fading stuff up again. And how many tracks like can that? you
0: do in a in a whole set? Because obviously the NPC's got not got huge memory. So how does that work?
1: I mean it it it, it varies really, but I've got something like sixteen tracks all sort of preloaded. But yeah, it's, I mean you only tend to get an hour anyway, so you, you're struggling to do that many in an hour yeah um
0: i guess you can drag them out as well if you need to
1: you can yeah like that's always a bit of a worry like if dj is late or something
0: yeah (laughs) on the last
1: tune you're thinking oh god i'm gonna have to draw this one out but um, (laughs) so also like i've got a few more tracks than i need to do for the set so i can kind of jump around a little bit if i need to but is it, honestly, like, I mean, I've DJed for years, and I still DJ, but the live is so much fun. How I big, love it.
0: Is, is it hard to travel with?
1: It's not too bad. So I get, um, I've got a flight case for the mixer. So yeah. when I fly, that goes in the hold. And then I've got a wheelie case where I can fit the MPC and all the cables in. Mm. And that I take that in hand luggage with me. Yeah. So worst case scenario, my luggage gets lost. Yeah. I just need them to to get me a mixer on the night, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Because there's a, quite a lot of people that start doing live more, like Rainer, Rainier, Zonenfeld. Like, I know he does a lot of live, but it's he, a lot of it's rider. So that he, they're like, mm. the rider is a lot of the live gear, and they have to get that, the tech rider.
1: I did think about that, like specifying a mixer, but I always think like if you take your own, at least you know it inside out and you know it's like going to work properly and stuff, you know?
0: Well, it's like this is, I've actually noticed this way more after COVID is the amount of venues I go to and like the effects buttons fucked or something's fucked on the mixer and you're just like, you're paying a lot of money for these artists to come and play and you're giving them shit equipment. And you're just like, why? Like, mm. it just doesn't make any sense to me. But fucking club owners, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So is are you like fully, li- I know you said you still DJ, but like, are you do you want to go down the full live route?
1: Yeah, I mean, no, pretty much all my gigs now are live, you know. That's amazing. Um, I'm quite happy with that. It's like, it's given me a new lease of life with it. Yeah. I bet it's pretty fun. It's amazing. Yeah. Like what the first one, the first time I did it, I was just like completely shitting it. Yeah. Just so exhausted by the end because the intense concentration, just thinking I've got to get this right. But the more you do it, the more you just kind of get into it. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, I love that there's not a single laptop
1: yeah i didn't want to i didn't want to be a laptop no. live thing it just looks like checking your email
0: <laughs> would you ever put a synth in as well
1: that's yeah so i've got um i've got a 303 emulator yeah that i'm planning to incorporate in some other bits and pieces at some point but i, can't, I don't want to kind of run before i, I can walk with it you know yeah, soon yeah. i sooner like nail it i mean mr g he's he's it's just literally the mixer and the NPC. NPC. Yeah. It works for him. He can dance, though. I can't dance. So well, that's the
0: thing. He does. He's like a performer, <laughs> like that, isn't he? He's just like, he's very. Does he sing as well?
1: I don't think so, but yeah. um, he can certainly dance. Yeah. <laughs> well, he
0: comes from like the dub reggae kind of days as well, right? I think I remember listening to a podcast with him. And yeah. Very much the like sound system sound system days as well
1: and those early advent records was like him and cisco together yeah which oh. i don't think many people realize no he, mis- is, he is he's such a badass producer mr man.
0: g's music is so good and you can tell that he does everything hardware because oh yeah it's yeah. like there's a fade out at the end of every record and like things just come in like where he's just pressing unmute on the mixer obviously like that's what i i think he's doing everything hardware like this is my guess i don't know that for but like some of his records are so you can tell it's a mr g record as well the swing on the drums the bass lines everything's just a vibe
1: definitely and particularly those old advent records like there's 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 one that he did on rotation which Mm. is dave angel's old label yeah like dave angel's just killer man like and you can hear it's live it's not perfect but that's what gives it the character you know yeah
0: that's that's what gives mr g mr g that's why no one will ever be mr g it's just yeah it's like it's like the old like masters at work records it's like all of it like i'm van helden all of those old old records it's like you know that's there's a level of rawness to it that just you can't create on a computer now Um, and and i think when those older guys go to writing music on a computer it just completely changes that their whole vibe and is very different
1: yeah i mean i'm obsessed with that kind of raw analog feel to to the to the tracks you know i'm constantly trying to get that
0: you nail it man i was listening to some of your music in the studio earlier and i've obviously listened to your music and played a lot of your music but i've i wouldn't say i've like really like listened in the studio where i'm like let's just give it this actual a full Mm. listen no distractions and like the sonics of it is there's not many people that can that are creating sonically records that well mixed that that, like, where you can hear everything, but there's just something that just brings it all together.
1: Oh, thanks, man. I really like it.
0: It's, it's really solid, man. Really solid. Um, so, is the plan to just go fully on this RMK touch, or are you,
1: what's the plan? I don't think so, because I it, I mean, it's also slightly different conceptually on how I make the track. Yeah. So, the fossil sound is much more like, let's get the synths you know, powered up yeah. and play stuff in live. And like, it's very hands-on yeah. and I use the computers more like a tape recorder. And once it's all kind of recorded, then I'll go in and arrange it in the computer and mix it there.
0: Oh, cool.
1: Whereas the RMK stuff is a bit more sample based. So I'm mm. not necessarily using the machines. It's a bit more in the box. Yeah. Although if I do an acid track, then I'll be like jamming that in live. Yeah. Um, so it kind of gives me two different ways of producing, yeah. which just you know keeps it more interesting. You definitely, know? definitely, and yeah. also like you know it, it allows me creatively to kind of go in different directions as well. So like this last week, I, I wrote this track, and I was like thinking, you know, when you listen to like Vince Watson tracks,
0: I don't know who that is.
1: So he's like a. Um, legendary producer from glasgow who now lives in holland
0: yeah
1: and he does this like it's it's like pure detroit techno you should check his stuff out it's incredible i'll I'll send you some stuff that i've been listening to of his but it feels very and he's a proper musician so it feels like proper live you can hear the string lines all done by hand you know Mm. it feels very live And I was like, I'd love to, because I'm not a musician at all. I don't don't play instruments or anything. So I always wanted to do a track where it feels like you're just kind of jamming a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I nailed it with this track last week. And I was like, regardless of whether the track's good or not, just being able to like play strings in live and just jam around a bit like a jazz musician. Yeah no it's just like it's just so liberating for me you know
0: yeah i can imagine that because a lot of us don't play instruments right like a lot of us aren't musical in that way and then um when when you kind of write a record that feels organically played there's something really special about it like Mm. i i i have one of my mates guy called mitch jones he's in an insane jazz pianist like on another level like it's crazy um he's working on a couple of records with me at the moment and just having somebody in the studio that can play keys that i can just be like mate can you try this can you try that can you do this can you do that where it's like it would take me all day to do that and it literally takes him five minutes
1: yeah, Jamie's um, like that. I'll yeah. sit with Jamie and he'll just be noodling around on the keys yeah. and you're just like, do that do again. Do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Keep doing that bit. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, and you're just like, it, it just adds a different... I think the thing is, is like house music has always been based on sampling disco records, right? And disco records is like funk and soul records. And funk and soul records is kind of like from jazz kind of and like it's all live instruments it's all like real musicians actually playing real music and then we just fucking butcher it in our club records but i think that's why when a live element comes in to electronic music there's just a vibe about it like for me um oh my god what's their name robert hood robert hood's Alias oh floor you, plan floor plan like for yeah. me like floor plan is like the best version of house music for me personally mm. and they're just everything that they do is just it's not all really amazing for a club but it's all amazing music and it's just there's just a soul about it that I just absolutely love it's mm. fucking amazing. And his obviously Robert Hood is Robert Hood is fucking insane as well.
1: Just... I had to go on after him at Fabric one. <laughs> <laughs> they asked me that? to do the warm up, and uh, I think I did. I think I did the warm up, and then Terry Francis played, and then it was Karen live, which is um oh, what's his name. think Of his name now, anyway, they did their live thing and then Robert Hood closing. Wow, and um, Judy, who's the the booker, there, she said, I i basically hung around because I had to get the tr- last train or the the, the, the train home train. in the yeah, morning, yeah, yeah. And uh, she turned around after about hour and a half, two hours of Robert playing. She said, Oh, Robert wants to stop playing, and ever all the other DJs have gone home. Do you think you can play to keep the <laughs> room going? I was like uh okay. <laughs> so it's like I had to jump on after Robert and keep keep it going in room two. It's just like it's just surreal. Damn. Really surreal. What do you play? Because he plays hard. I was like, how am I gonna come on after this? Yeah. <laughs> I had to bang it out basically, but it was good fun. Yeah, but yeah. Just, just put the tempo up a little bit. Yeah. Just take it from this there. this was before like tempos were getting out of control, you know, it was was all right what's
0: your thoughts on this whole tempo thing
1: i think once it's i mean like i'm doing my rmk stuff mostly around 140 yeah and i think you can do some interesting stuff around that that tempo actually but once it starts getting up to like 150 plus it's just getting a bit out of control for me like you you lose the funk and it's just too machine like And, and I also like, I remember going to Burkheim years ago and it would be like a marathon. Yeah. And it felt like it could be a marathon because everyone was playing at like 130 odd BPM. And you could just groove to it. Mm. But how can you dance for 12 hours to 150 BPM? You can't. You just, even with drugs, like (laughs) it's, you just can't. I don't see how people can do it. Yeah. So, I don't know how it relates to like social media and this kind of like high energy, quick satisfaction thing. I, yeah. I don't know, but I'm not a fan. No, and I think there's a few people that do it really well, but generally, I'm not a fan.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, it for me, it's, it's just a fashion. It will change. It will. It will leave, and it will something else will happen.
1: But I, in the nineties, techno was like was fast. Well, it it got fast. Yeah, it got really fast, like end of the nineties, early two thousands, and then minimal came along, and it just killed it off. And then it all kind of reset.
0: Well, minimal was a big fuck you to tech to it back then, right? And yeah, minimal minimal got it extremely minimal and then it got a bit boring and then something else came out of it and i think it's just always the always the case is like these things happen and it will go out of fashion just like
1: yeah it will it will all just yeah change again
0: i i just i just missed the soul out of it i hit i there's i i'll be honest i i've I can't listen to it. <laughs> there's not no. many genres of music that I'm like, that I don't, that I struggle with, really. Like, there's, like, go hardcore or go techno. Don't go in between of, like, you're making trance, techno, hardcore. Like, just don't, just it's, go for one me, thing. it's
1: not even techno, though. It's not. It's not. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's interesting, because when I saw you at ADE, literally about 10 minutes before I was speaking to you, or I won't say who it was, I was speaking to somebody else who was playing. And I said, oh, I haven't seen you for years. The last time I saw you play was at Fabric. Yeah. And they were like, oh, that's when I did um, that sort of classic techno sound. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, um, I don't really do that anymore. Like this, uh, this kind of hard, yeah. hard techno things like, I just do that now, and that. and I was kind of like thinking, you sound like you're not even into what you're playing, yeah. you know. And I think that's quite common, isn't it? Like yeah. DJs get to a certain level, and then they just play stuff that they're not really doing, but it's just a bit of a job for them, you know. Well, I
0: think it's just like commercialization of the industry, where it's like, what do you have to play to? sell tickets, what do you have to play to get a following on social media? What do you have to play in these circles? And like I I have conversations with some of the biggest bookers in the in America of some of the the the, the biggest like electronic music festivals. And they're like we don't get it. We don't like it. But we have to book it. The,
1: I've had a conversation with with a, a festival booker as well, exact, exactly the yeah. same.
0: But I, I think the thing that I struggle with is that it's you don't have to book it and you don't have to support it if you don't like it because realistically people are still gonna be coming to the festival. Um but hey, like I'm not a festival booker, so that's why I I I that's why I have that view on it. Um yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, but it will change. I, I'm so far removed from that. Like I see it a lot and it's weird because I kind of walk a weird weird career where I get booked on techno lineups and I get booked on like more commercial lineups. So I kind of walk this weird line. Um but it just doesn't appeal to me in the slightest at all.
1: I mean that's why um it's just important to kind of do what you what you love. Yeah. Yeah, you know, not get caught up and watching what everyone else is doing so much. It's, it's
0: the it's the only thing to make you happy.
1: Yeah, the only thing.
0: Because if if becoming if making a massive record and becoming rich and touring the world will make you happy, like don't fucking try and do it because you're just gonna be selling your soul to the devil. Like, yes, in certain situations, you want to become wealthy and you want to be touring the world and you want to be. People to listen to your music and love your music, but if you if there's a record that you've made that you absolutely hate, but it gets you there, like you're gonna have to play that record for the rest of your life and you're gonna have to hate every time you hear that record, so yeah. Like,
1: although I think now that doesn't happen so much because I don't think there's these sort of massive records which define artists like it did in the past. I think music is, I, d- I disagree.
0: Yeah. yeah, I disagree, with, especially with nowadays where you have big records and not big artists. In More in the major major realm with... <clears throat> you have artists that, that are brand new that have hit records as their first records or their fourth record, and it catapults them. But the only reason why it catapults them is because that one record did so big, and then they are known for that one record, and... Hopefully they like it.
1: Is that a DJ thing though, or more like a band's DJ thing? Yeah. See, I I don't. I'm not in that world yeah, at all, so yeah. I don't I don't know. You know.
0: Yeah, it, I've seen it way more since COVID than I have pre-COVID, mm. way more. But I think it's because house music's become way fashionable. And major record labels sign signing artists, and major record labels have never, in the, especially in the electronic world, have never wanted to build an artist. They want to sign the biggest record. Mm. And and there's never any plan on how the artist is going to grow from that in the future. It's how can we make this the, rec- the biggest record, and then we don't give a fuck about their second record. Or if their mm. second record doesn't do as well as their first, they get dropped and we move on. So... Yeah, it's it's weird, but we're doing what we love, which is the main thing.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that's the most important thing, really. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, me running my own label, it kind of gives me that creative output, you know, Not, yeah. I can kind of dictate things a bit more on my own terms, and yeah. I guess that's the same for you, isn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the whole reason why I did it. it, was just so I don't have to sound like anybody else. I can put music in put music out as much as I possibly want or as little as I want. Um, Yeah, man, I love it. I love it. Dude, we've just done an hour and a half. Wow. I know, (laughs) it flew by. Um, I would say we can keep going, but I've got a podcast in a bit and I need to need to go to the toilet yeah
1: it's a good idea um mate
0: thank you so much for coming on it's been really really nice to like actually sit down and have a have a good conversation and let's do this again in the future Um, yeah likewise please keep sending me music your music's amazing um how can people get in touch with you how can people follow you how can people listen to your music
1: yeah, um well I've got my, my two main artist names now, so Fossil Archive and then RMK which is r dot m dot k and uh Instagram is just fossil archive rmk, search for that. Cool. You should be able to find me. Uh I do have Facebook and Twitter, but I'm not as active. Sort of active on there. So but you, you can find you can certainly find Fossil Archive on Facebook. rmk and stuff like that so um and yeah just check out the music it's all on spotify
0: do you have a band camp or anything
1: yeah if you go um fossilarchive.com, that takes you to my band camp page you can find all my labels music there cool cool man
0: dude thank you so much for coming on um this is technically coming out in january um so happy new year (laughs)
1: yeah happy new year to
0: you (laughs) um but yeah man have a good one and thank you so much
1: thanks will it's been great big love
0: stay on and that's a wrap big love to him for coming on love that episode um hope you have a great day keep safe see you next time lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky
1: lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office